Good morning, my name is Catherine, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome you to the L Brands fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I will now turn the call over to Ms. Amy Preston, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Company Affairs for L Brands. You may begin. Thanks. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to L Brands fourth quarter earnings conference call for the period ending January 30th, 2021. As a matter of formality, I need to remind you that any forward-looking statements we may make on our call today are subject to our safe harbor statement found in our SEC filings and in our press releases. Joining me on the call today are Andrew Meslow, CEO of Elbrands and Bath and Body Works, Martin Waters, CEO of Victoria's Secret, and Stuart Bergdorfer, CFO of Elbrands. All results we discuss on the call today are adjusted results and exclude the special items described in our press release. Thanks, and now I'll turn the call over to Andrew. Thank you, Amy, and good morning, everyone. As we reported last night, we delivered record results in the fourth quarter, and we could not have done so without the hard work and dedication of our whole team of associates and partners. We'd like to express our deep appreciation for their continued dedication and efforts. Before we take your questions this morning, I thought it would be appropriate to take a few minutes to reflect on the year we just completed which presented many challenges, but at the same time yielded so many accomplishments in our business. To highlight just a few of these accomplishments for L Brands in total, we led with our values and an emphasis on safety so we could be confident in our decisions and actions to support associates, customers, and our business. We shifted how we ran the business, and thanks to technology, didn't miss a beat in managing the calendar and processes that drive our businesses each day. We created ways to navigate the pandemic and support our associates and partners to ensure we could continue to deliver results. We took significant actions to increase liquidity and ended the year with $3.9 billion in cash and delivered $1.8 billion in free cash flow. We restructured the organization to prepare us to operate as two separate businesses go forward. We successfully spread business across the fall season with sales volume and margin rates that outpaced expectations. While the above comments reflect what we did tactically, it's also important to reflect on how we got there, particularly in a year where we saw substantial social unrest and political divisiveness. The leadership of the business focused on advancing a healthy, high-performance culture, including efforts around diversity equity, and inclusion for ourselves, our business, and our communities. In addition to continuing to develop our internal leadership talent, we also recruited a number of new leaders in important roles that both deepen our capability and add to the diversity of our team. Shifting now to accomplishments that relate specifically to Bath & Body Works. For the year, we increased sales by $1.1 billion, or 20%, and operating income by over $600 million, or 
and delivered results we could not have predicted in the middle of a global pandemic and a year of significant change. We further enhanced our brand positioning with evolved designs, strong product acceptance, emotionally compelling, on-trend, seasonally right merchandise, and marketing. We matched our customers' mindset about wellness, self-care, and nesting at home. And we established soaps and sanitizers as true traffic drivers and a solid third pillar of the business. We continued to leverage our speed and agility and made smart choices to plan and replan the business and manage inventory to commercialize, chase, and allocate product, and divert and move inventory where it was most needed, while also building continuity and capacity into our supply chain and a larger network of fulfillment and distribution centers, all of which gave us the velocity of inventory flow to match increased demands for our products. We more than doubled our U.S. direct business to $2 billion, or 31% of the total business, inside of 12 months breaking high water marks multiple times during the year. And importantly, we were among the safest as well as most fun and festive place in the mall for Christmas. We expect that 2021 will not be easy as the world, the retail environment, and our enterprise and business continue to evolve and as we lap these extraordinary 2020 results. But with continued smart management of the brand and business, I know we can become a fully separate, standalone public corporation and proactively accelerate to our next phase of growth. Thank you, and with that, I'll turn it over to Martin Waters. Thanks, Andrew, and good morning, everyone. First, let me say how excited I am to be joining you this morning and for the opportunity that I have to lead the Victoria's Secret business. The Victoria's Secret team, led by Stuart, has accomplished a remarkable turnaround in the last six months. In the fall season, we delivered about a 400 million or 300% increase in operating income at a profit rate of 15% of sales. And that's a result of improved merchandise assortments, more disciplined inventory management, better management of promotions, effective selling execution online and in stores, and of course, the positive impact of our profit improvement plan. While much has already been accomplished, I'm highly energized by the opportunities that we have in front of us to reposition and grow this iconic brand as a standalone business. Thanks, and I'll turn it over to Amy. Thanks, Martin. That concludes our prepared comments. At this time, we'd be happy to take any questions you might have. We are all in different locations today, so I'm going to do my best to direct the questions to the right folks. As a reminder, in the interest of time and consideration to others, please limit yourself to one question. Thanks, and I'll turn it back over to Catherine. We will now begin our formal question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Only record your first and last name. Your name is required to announce your question. To withdraw your question, you may press star 2. The first question is coming from Simeon Siegel, BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks, everyone. Big congrats on such a nice way to cap the year, so, uh, so congrats. Um, Andrew, soaps and sanitizers aside, can you speak to any changes you observed in how your customers shop 
during the pandemic, what you think proves longer lasting. Maybe just help us think through characterizing the growth in new customers versus higher frequency of shop versus higher AUR. Thank you. Thanks, Simeon. Andrew, obviously. Uh, yeah, thank you, Simeon, for the question. Um, so on your first part of the question in terms of growth outside of drugs and sanitizers, uh, I think it's just important to, to remind everyone, and we've said it in the prepared remarks in both uh, Q3 and in Q4, soaps and sanitizer was a significant growth driver for the business in 2020, uh, really the whole year. But, but as we called out, we, we saw about uh, two-thirds uh, of the growth come from outside of soaps and sanitizers. And, and as we said on prior calls, really the, the biggest trend within that two-thirds has been in our home fragrance business, as we've seen uh, the customer clearly, uh, as he or she is spending more time at home and, and spending more attention on making their home um, you know, a comfortable place uh, to do business, schooling, uh, et cetera. We've seen, again, continued strong growth there. But importantly, on the, on the year, we did see uh, strong uh, double-digit comp growth in all of our categories. So, uh, so again, a very balanced performance with the exception, as you mentioned, of soaps and sanitizers that really experienced uh, outsized growth across the entire time frame. When, you think, when we think about uh, customer behavior in general, um, we did see that our uh, customer spending uh, across all categories and across both channels uh, was up significantly year over year. From a total number of customers, because we had stores closed uh, for about 90 days in the first half of the year, and because the store uh, customer, store only customer at the beginning of the year represented a little over three quarters of our total customers, that did mean that we saw a decline in uh, number of customers who shopped in stores for fiscal 2020. But we were able to almost fully offset that by the increase that we saw in our direct customers and in our dual channel customers. So while we finished 2020 with a, a, a slight decline in the total number of customers, uh, we did see customer engagement metrics improve substantially. So spending by all customers up over 20%, and importantly, strong growth in both uh, direct and dual customers. And as a reminder, dual, customer, dual channel customers spend on order of magnitude more than three times a single channel customer and then the last piece I would emphasize is that, again, we saw strong cross-category uh, growth in customers, meaning number of customers who shop multiple categories uh, within the business as opposed to just one. And as we saw, that strong growth really led by uh, customers engaging in soaps and sanitizers, uh, we saw that spending also increase substantially. So hopefully that helps. Great. Great. Yeah, thanks so much. Congrats again. Best of luck for the year. Thanks, Simeon. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Lorraine Hutchinson, Bank of America. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Andrew, I was hoping to get your perspective on longer term on the longer term outlook for Bath and Body Works margins. If we use twenty nineteen as a base, 
Can you talk through the puts and takes um, and, and where you see the opportunity for margins to shake out post-2020 and in the, into the coming two to three years? Hi, Lorraine. Thanks for the question. So, um, obviously, we, we went into a little bit of detail in our prepared remarks uh, last evening. So, important to recognize that 2020 was, was definitely an outlier year in terms of the operating margin results that we achieved at 28.5, which, as, as you're pointing out, was uh, up substantially to even 2018 and 2019, which were very good years for the business, up over 500 basis points. When we look at that uh, operating margin improvement, uh, about half of that improvement came from uh, significant uh, gains in merchandise margin rates. And again, those merchandise margin rate improvements were achieved by significantly reducing uh, promotional activity within the year. And that promotional activity uh, was against all of our different vehicles. So we saw less clearance selling, more full-price selling. We saw uh, fewer days of power traffic driving uh, promotions. Uh, we were able to actually take promotion on, uh, pricing up, uh, even on essentially flat uh, ticket pricing. And we had fewer uh, shop-wide discounts uh, than we had offered historically uh, through email or direct mail. Uh, so as we think about that uh, level of improvement, our assumption is that we will have to give some of that improvement that we saw in fiscal 2020 back as we move uh, beyond, uh, you know, the, the snapback, if you will, as stores got reopened and the tremendous growth that we saw in our direct channel, you know, demand up over 100% for the year. So as we begin to lap uh, some of that activity, we do expect that some of that merchandise margin gain we will have to give back. Uh, but as you know, and we've talked about on many calls in the past, we are constantly doing read and react testing to understand what, what our customers are responding to in terms of promotions, what it's required to drive both traffic as well as uh, you know, customer acquisition and unit uh, selling to maintain market share or gain market share. So those are all important considerations that we will use as we move through 2021 and beyond. The other half of the operating margin improvement that we saw in 2020 was really driven by leverage of both SG&A and buying occupancy on obviously the very high sales uh, growth. Total sales grew by 20% for the year and comp sales in the time frame that we were open grew by 45%. Uh, so obviously we do not expect that level of ongoing uh, sales growth and so there will be some deleverage as we uh, as we return to more normal uh, sales growth go forward and as we continue to make investments into our uh, operating costs around safety and supplies, into wages and labor and stores and supply chain, and into investments in capability and digital and omni-channel. So the net-net of all that is, as we said in our prepared remarks, we do believe that the right long-term operating margin structure for the BBW segment as it currently exists is in that low to mid-20s. Uh, but the, you know, the pace at which we get to that uh, will be completely dependent on the business results that we see as, and, as I described, the continuous testing that we'll do throughout the year. 
Hopefully that makes sense. Thanks, Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Lorraine. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Ike Brochell of Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. I'm not sure who this question would, for, uh, would be for, maybe, maybe Stuart if he's on, but uh, just two quick ones on, on the Victoria's Secret business. I guess I'm not sure how much color you could give us, but just curious, um, if in, could you give us some color on if, there is, if and when there is a potential sale of the business, how to think about tax leakage um, uh, in that scenario? And then, again, I know you're not giving guidance on, on Vicky's, but given the trajectory, it seems like the business is, is scaling pretty quickly. It seems like EBITDA for that brand could approach a billion potentially this year. Just, just any color on, on, on what your expectations are for, for go-forward profitability would be helpful. Thanks, Ike. Good morning. Stuart, yep. Yeah. Good morning, Ike. Uh, thank you. So as you point out in your um, question, Ike, uh, you know, in a, we're, we're pursuing a dual path uh, approach uh, to the separation of Victoria's Secret. Dual path meaning uh, looking at a uh, spin option where Victoria's would become its own public company and separately a sale option where we would sell it to, a, you know, a, a third party. And I think as you, as you mentioned in your question, you know, a sales scenario uh, very likely to have a significant tax cost to it, whereas a spinoff done in the appropriate way, which would certainly be our intent, uh, would be a tax-free transaction. So it's one of many considerations, but obviously the tax leakage could be significant in a sales scenario, and that with a, a range of other factors will be considered you know, by the board as we, as we work through this process, we'll get the right advice from legal and, and banking counsel and so on. But uh, the spin option is a tax-free option, or we believe it can be accomplished in that way. And that would be one of the advantages of a, of a spin option. So that, that would be our perspective on that. And then, Ike, as we commented on in our uh, uh, prepared uh, you know, uh, comments that got circulated uh, in terms of the profitability of, of VS Nuco, uh, what we mentioned and what, you know, I believe, Martin believes, we believe, is that the business uh, can be managed well and deliver meaningful growth in an operating income rate range, an EBIT range of between 10 and 15%. And as many of you uh, have recognized, you know, we're, we're basically in that range at this point with, the, you know, the meaningful progress that we made in the, in the back half of the year. So, this should be a 10 to 15% business. We'll obviously shift more to growth uh, as we move forward. And, you know, the dollarization of that is meaningful, um, whether it's on an EBIT basis or an EBITDA basis. And, and we're excited about the growth of the business. Thanks. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Ike. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Roxanne Meyer, MKM Partners. Your line is open. Great, thanks, and congratulations on um, your strong results for the quarter and the year. Um, my question is around BBW um, store growth strategy, um, specifically on international. I'm just I'm curious what the long-term strategy is there, um, and as part of that, you know, any thoughts around developing an own store strategy versus franchise? Um, and then if you could, I, I'm also curious to hear, I know that almost half of your U.S. stores are off-mall, 
you know, are there certain characteristics of, you know, your top performing off-mall loca locations or formats um, that you can point to? Thanks a lot. Thanks, Roxanne. Andrew? Good morning, Roxanne. Thanks for the question. So on the first part of your question uh, regarding international, um, you know, international, as we called out in our remarks, uh, had a strong year. International, in many ways, mirrored the results we saw in North America in terms of challenging uh, business in the first uh, quarter and first half of the year with store closures. Uh, but our international uh, partners, franchise partners, did a uh, very, very uh, good job of building substantially their digital uh, capabilities and capacity through 2020, uh, which led to uh, closing the year in a very strong way for both Q4 and, and the year, growing sales and operating income nicely. And as you saw in our uh, materials, we're also uh, – planning, uh, our partners are, are very bullish on the business, so we are planning further growth in 2021 of, uh, you know, 50 to, to 75 stores uh, in primarily existing markets that our franchise partners already operate uh, strongly in. And so they are bullish, we are bullish on the continued uh, opportunity for growth there. To your specific question around are we contemplating or would we contemplate moving from the franchise model to an own store model? I think the short answer on that is right now, uh, no. Uh, we are very comfortable and pleased with uh, the model that we have in place, the results that we're getting, uh, the relationships we have with our partners. I'll never say never, uh, but again, not, not part of our growth strategy here in the next several years. Then to the second part of your question, uh, Again, we, we called out specifically uh, in our prepared remarks, you know, that with the tremendous growth of digital and with the continued uh, change in our portfolio to focus on off-mall stores, uh, you know, we're down to only about 35% of our revenue coming from uh, mall stores. So obviously uh, the other almost two-thirds uh, coming from digital and off-mall your question around what are the type of uh, operating performance we see out of those off-mall stores. Again, as, as Bath & Body Works has become much more of a destination uh, in and of itself, what we see in our off-mall locations, not surprisingly, is significantly higher conversion uh, rates than we see in mall stores. Uh, if someone is coming into an off-mall location, they almost certainly have already decided uh, before, they, before they made the trip that they intend to make a purchase. And so that operating uh, profile is certainly stronger in our off-mall locations. And uh, probably not surprisingly, our, our operating costs uh, in general are lower in our off-mall locations, uh, and so their profit rates tend to be on par or better uh, than an average uh, mall store. And then importantly, again, I think partly driven by the pandemic, but also uh, probably driven by just a longer-term shift in customer behavior, we saw a pretty substantial outperformance uh, of our off-mall locations uh, this year uh, versus our mall-based locations, so about uh, a comp about twice as high in off-malls versus malls uh, for the full year. 
Uh, and so that, again, are important uh, elements in why we continue to move uh, in the direction strategy-wise uh, that we've articulated in terms of shifting more and more to off-mall locations. Hopefully that helps. Thank you. Thanks, Roxanne. Next question, please. Our next question is coming from Matthew Boss, J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Thanks, and congrats on another great print. So, uh, two-part question. You, you cited you were pleased with February's top line. Could you just elaborate on trends that you've seen post-holiday, maybe by concept? And then, Stuart, debt, net debt, I believe, is at a 10-year low. How would you prioritize capital allocation opportunities following the BS transaction? Okay, thanks, Matt. So, Andrew, do you want to start with February? Sure. So, as we mentioned uh, in the remarks, February uh, is coming out. We still have a few days left in the fiscal month, but it's uh, certainly trending to be uh, a very solid month uh, for Bath & Body Works. Um, frankly, performance that is in line to slightly better than what we achieved uh, in fourth quarter and therefore at the higher end of, of what we were expecting as we came into the quarter. But as we mentioned, uh, we've already uh, reflected that performance of February in our current guidance. In terms of a little bit more color around uh, February and even late January as we moved out of semi-annual sale, which takes up our first couple of weeks of January, so looking at essentially the last six weeks, we've been uh, very pleased with the performance of our new spring product, uh, both in the uh, theme floor set that was focused on Valentine's Day, which was the last couple weeks of January and the first couple weeks of February, as well as as we've moved past Valentine's Day now, our uh, tropical-based uh, floor set and theme uh, in stores and online has also been performing well. So again, good early reads on our spring uh, merchandise and strategies overall. Great, thanks. And then Stuart, over to you. You want Martin on Feb? Or yeah. Martin? Yeah, Martin, you want to? Yeah sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Happy to. Uh, very similar to what Andrew said. We're, we're pleased with February. Very solid uh, results with the 90% of the month that, that's in, at or above uh, what we saw in Q4 overall. And that's driven by significantly higher AUR, significantly higher merchandise margin rates, less promotionality, and a really good response to our V-Day collection. We had a very good V-Day period. And overall, the response to spring merchandise has been very positive. So, so we're, uh, we're upbeat and we're bullish. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. And Stuart, a question on debt. Yeah. So, Matt, as you point out, uh, you know, we've, we've generated a lot of cash and we're holding a lot of cash and, and you know, the business. And it was an intensive effort, including support from lots of people, including uh, our partners and, and then a, a, a strong operating result. But we are, you know, we ended the year with $3.9 billion of cash. And so as we think about, you know, where we are and as we think about, uh, you know, the next roundly six months, five or six months with respect to the separation, uh, we are evaluating the, the subject that you asked about, which is, you know, what are you going to do with all this money and, and how do you think about it? We haven't made any decisions. Uh, we are getting uh, outside advice. Uh, you know, we've retained Goldman and J.P. Morgan to help us with 
the separation and, and they're giving us uh, their perspectives on, on the subject you ask about uh, as well. Uh, so we're evaluating options. Uh, the board uh, obviously will review um, thinking and, and will approve anything that we do. But in answer to your question, what, what are we thinking most about? We're thinking about uh, reducing debt. Uh, we're thinking about buying stock. Uh, we do believe uh, in the opportunity to drive, uh, you know, appreciation in the stock, including through a re-rating of Bath and Body Works. And we're also thinking about uh, resuming a dividend. But these are all things that we're just thinking about. No decisions have been made. Obviously, when we make decisions, we'll communicate those. And we're thinking about um, the timing of that evaluation and the timing of of those decisions in terms of before or after or multi-step or single step uh, with respect to the separation. So it's a big subject. The good news is we're in a good place. So we've accumulated a lot of cash. Uh, the maturity profile, as you know, is very healthy. We took a number of actions this year to improve that maturity profile. So we start the subject in a very sound position. But again, we believe it appropriate to reduce debt there is absolutely an opportunity, we think, with respect to the repurchase of shares. And, you know, the company paid a dividend for a long period of time, and that is, that is an important, you know, form of a return for shareholders, you know, in a company like this. So we're evaluating all of it, but have not made any decisions. Thanks. Thanks, Stuart. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Susan Anderson of B. Riley. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Let me offer my congrats on a nice end to the year. Um, I guess I wanted to follow up on the pink business. I think in the prepared commentary you talked about 80% comp growth in the logo shop. I'm curious what percent of apparel is logo now and then also how the other apparel performed. Uh, Martin or Stuart? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in there. Thanks for the question, Susan. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty pleased with the performance of the pink business. I think the, the way to think about pink is that approaching half of the business is in the intimates category, and about the other half of the business, broadly, round numbers, is in the apparel segment, and about half of that half in apparel is logo, and that's where we saw significant growth. So hopefully that helps you dimension the business overall. That is helpful. Thanks so much. Thanks, Susan. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Kimberly Greenberger. Morgan Stanley, your line is open. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning. I wanted to ask uh, two quick follow-up questions, one on the sale versus the spin uh, debate. Is there a price for the Victoria's Secret business that makes a sale um, even with the tax consequences more attractive than, than a spin? And then uh, just to follow up on the debt question, um, do you have uh, a, a sort of targeted leverage ratio for BBW and or Victoria's Secret that you'd like to get to? Um, and any thoughts on when we might see some action on debt pay down? Thanks. Thanks. That is Stuart. So, Kimberly, in terms of like what the threshold price that might tilt the scale, sale versus spin, as you appreciate, uh, there's a lot of judgment in that question, uh, and that's a judgment that the board will make. 
so, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate to kind of speculate on what the, the, the numerical, you know, threshold would be. We could all, you know, throw numbers against a wall and, and those numbers, what I will say is those numbers are substantially greater than they were a year ago. So I think we all appreciate that based on the, the uh, performance of the business. But the, the, the judgment involved in that is uh, important and is not based on a single factor but obviously valuation and cash generation uh, are important considerations as we evaluate the, the plus minus. But, but again, I, I think as you appreciate the, the it, we could all do math and speculate, but, but it's more involved in that. And, and the good news is, you know, as we think about what the valuation of the business business may be in the, in the public markets, again, we, we, we can all do that math and, and it certainly, you know, implies, of bigger numbers with respect to, to what would be required to tilt the scale, if you will. So uh, it's a good question, uh, an important question, but not one that we'll, we'll throw a number out uh, on, a, on a call this morning. And again, the board will make that determination. With respect to um, leverage, uh, what we would say is, is uh, we're doing the, the capital structure work. Uh, we do believe that um, uh, a leverage in the two and a half to three range on a, a lease adjusted basis uh, feels like a good uh, target, but we're continuing to refine our views on that. And then with respect to, you know, when might we see some action, uh, as I mentioned in, in the comments uh, with respect to Matt's question, we're looking at the subjects, um, you know, important judgment to make about, you know, timing of actions and a two-step thing or a one-step thing and, and uh, in terms of, of decisions and, and actions and, and we're evaluating those things and, and the board, again, will we'll, uh, make those determinations but nothing to announce today. Thanks. Thanks for the color, Stuart. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Kimberly. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Omar Saad of Evercore. Your line is open. Thanks for taking my question, and thanks for all the information. Um, a couple quick follow-ups on Victoria's Secret, um, that, you know, the great margin performance there. Um, was there a big lift from the, the shift of the UK stores into the JV and the you know, other key drivers behind that margin transformation? I'm, I'm sure promotions, reduced promotions was part of it. And, and, and maybe also was e-com. Are you seeing an inflection in e-com profitability in Victoria's Secret? Um, and then, Martin, maybe you could touch on you know, you've been at the company a long time. You know the brand really well. Maybe you could touch on where, where you see the Victoria's Secret brand's position today and, and, and your kind of ideas for, for the longer-term brand strategy. Thanks. Thanks, Omar. Stuart, do you want to take that first part? Yep. So with respect to the back half, Omar, and, and, and more particularly even the fourth quarter, the the – result related to the UK was not a major uh, driver of the profit improvement for the quarter year on year. We're, we are very pleased with what uh, we're doing there go forward and how uh, it, it uh, will improve the operating result of the business for us or the recorded result of the business for us. And we think Next is a great partner. But in terms of did it make a big impact financially year on year uh, in the fourth quarter, the answer to that is no, but again, we feel good about what we did. With respect to uh, the, the digital business and did it uh, improve its profit rate, 
uh, meaningfully year on year? The answer to that is it did, and that was driven by the improvement in merchandise margin rates that we saw across the business. And so that effect was um, significant in the online business, and it's a very profit profitable business and a good business. And in addition to growing top line, uh, the profit rate in the business uh, improved meaningfully, again, driven by the improvement in the merchandise margin rate. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. And Martin, do you want to talk about how you're thinking about brand positioning? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Thanks uh, so much for the question, Omar. So, you know, in taking on this role, I think about uh, having four key priorities. So firstly, it's about establishing a happy and healthy culture within the business. Secondly, it's about really improving our product offer, focusing on the architecture of our good, better, best pricing and being really sharp on opening price points. Thirdly, it's about leaning into digital so that we adopt a digital-first mentality and we expect digital to be probably 50% of our business going forward. And then fourthly, and very importantly, it's about facing into the brand repositioning work. And I couldn't be more delighted to be leading the work to refresh the brand positioning, to make it more relevant, to make it more inclusive, to make it more consistent with the attitude and lifestyle of the modern woman. And so we've listened to her, and we've uh, carefully decided to make some change. And that change is summarized by her asking us to move away from telling her what we think is sexy and what we think she should wear and how we think she should look to being there to help her craft the story that she wants to tell. So our job is to support her in whatever way that she needs us to. And we know that she's rooting for us. The engagement that we saw in the fourth quarter was up significantly to previous years, both in social channels and obviously in digital commerce generally. And we're winning her back by celebrating her and inspiring her and supporting her to show up however she wants to show up. So you will see significant change in the way that the brand is presented. And rather than expecting, you know, a big reveal, a big relaunch of the brand, this will, the the change in the positioning that I've just described will show up in everything that we do on a day-to-day basis. And that means whether it be the imagery when you turn on the screen on our website or on your phone, on the email that you get every day, in our social media, in the Magalog that arrives for Swim on Monday, every single interaction that we have with the consumer either polishes or tarnishes the brand, and we are determined that we will have a polish mentality in everything that we do uh, from here onwards. So hopefully that helps give some color, and I'm happy to talk more about it um, uh, privately if people want to hear more. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Omar. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Michael Benani of Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Congrats on a nice holiday, and um, thanks for all the help here. Um, you know, I guess I'd like to ask about the, um, the, the BBW Digital customer. Um, you know, how many, how many of the new customers that you referenced earlier in, in the digital channel um, are known to you, are, are in the database from the stores that, that may, may move back? To the store channel as it reopens versus those that are that are new to you in the in the digital channel, and then if I could just reflect back on um, some of Stuart's comments on the um, on the e-commerce margin, um, I know you said how, you know a, a lot of it was the merch margin improvement. Um, maybe maybe any thoughts you could give us on some of the other lines below merch margin um, in that channel, so we can think about how the profitability and leverage lines are looking aside from the merch margin. 
Thanks. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, so uh, thanks for the question, Michael. Uh, in terms of the growth we saw within uh, Bath & Body Works Digital, um, about half of the uh, customers that were new to the channel were also new to the brand overall, uh, so had not made any uh, Bath & Body Works purchase either online or in stores for uh, the prior two years. And about the other half were new to the channel, um, meaning they were making their first direct purchase, uh, but had historically made a purchase in stores. And again, I'm speaking to the, to the full year there. And then importantly, as I mentioned, uh, specifically on that second group that would now be considered a dual channel customer, the spending associated with those customers relative to the spending of a customer who shops only online or only in stores is uh, order of magnitude three times greater. So we're, we're very excited about that growth in dual channel customers and we'll work very hard to uh, both retain those customers and to continue to drive uh, their behavior go forward. Thanks, Andrew. And Stuart, any more color on direct operating margins? Honestly, you know, not really. And it's not because I don't want to provide it or I don't have it in front of me because I do. But but the, the big driver is what we commented on, which is the merchandise margin rate improved meaningfully, materially, uh, year on year. Uh, to what we would describe as a healthy rate and the profit rate or the EBIT rate within uh, the e-com channel, the digital channel for VS Nuco is, is very healthy and, and you know, wouldn't offer a comment beyond that. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. And, guys, please, if you could ask one question. We have a number of folks who are trying to um, – ask questions that we're trying to get to. So next question, please. The next question is coming from Katie Fitzsimmons, RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yes, hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my question and congrats on the results. Um, I, I guess my question is on Victoria's Secret, you know, lingerie, AURs in the 30s, pink comping in the 80s, but overall, you know, branded comps down three as you guys are tightly controlling the units. Um, obviously, I know your, your focus is on profitability, recovery, but we will be lapping some pretty significant inventory declines in that brand. So just curious how you're approaching balancing a return to growth uh, with profitability as we approach uh, rebuilding on the inventory. Thank you. Martin, do you want to take that one? Sure, happy to. Thanks for the question, Katie. So I think you characterized it rightly that we've had significant AUR increases. Uh, you've probably noticed we've had significantly less promotionality. And the reason for that is we've got better merchandise. So if you've got better stuff and you've got inventories managed more tightly, then good things happen to the margin. And we saw that particularly in January where we didn't need to lap the extensive SAS from prior year and we didn't need to lap the same number of panty parties, et cetera, et cetera. So we're seeing just a much healthier business right now that's less dependent on promotions and more dependent on talking about new and back and free rather than off. Um, we're also seeing very good momentum in pink as well as lingerie and in beauty. So all in all, we feel like we're on a good track. And I think the word you used is balance, and that's how I think about it, that we, while we want to ensure 
that the quality of earnings is good and that the profitability of the sales is positive. At the same time, we want to drive volume. So we want to be the market leader. We want to have you know, deep shares in all of the core categories in which we operate. So we're trying to keep a very careful balance on the tour to ensure that we're giving the right level of promotional support to drive volume and at the same time hang on to the terrific gains that we've made already. And the way I would say it is that for the first half of the year, we expect that trend to continue because we're up against you know, a difficult period from 2020 last year. And as we move towards the back half of the year, well, that'll ameliorate a little bit because we were already starting to see significant improvement in performance. So hopefully that gives you a, a bit more color, Katie. Thanks, Martin. Uh, next question. The next question is coming from Paul Lejway of City Research. Your line is open. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I think you mentioned 35% of BBW sales are mall. Curious if you could give that number for VS. And also curious on uh, BBW side, what does the absolute level of sales productivity look like in mall stores versus off-mall stores after that big outperformance that you mentioned in off-mall stores this year? Thanks. Okay, let's start with Andrew and then go to Storch. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for the question. So uh, your question for, for Bath & Body Works around sales productivity in off-mall locations versus mall locations with the outperformance. So if we were talking at this time last year, uh, the reality is on a selling sales per foot basis, mall stores have historically outperformed uh, off-mall stores. Um, by a, by a relatively meaningful margin, uh, but with the performance that we saw in uh, in 2020 that I described, where the comp was essentially double in the off-mall locations versus mall, those numbers are now closer. Uh, but but mall stores, on an absolute dollars per foot basis, do still uh, outperform our off-mall locations. But as mentioned, uh, our operating costs in off-mall locations are lower than our operating uh, costs in, in mall locations. Hopefully that helps. Thanks, and Stuart. Yep. So, uh, Paul, as we mentioned, you know, we're in the the forty percent range digital versus store, going to fifty or fifty plus, and then within store, it's about eighty twenty mall non mall eighty twenty, and the twenty is comprised largely of street locations, not exclusively, but largely of street locations. Thanks. Got it. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Next question. The next question is coming from Janie Stricter of Jeffries. Your line is open. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, just a quick one on Bath & Body Works. Wanted to ask about the direct channel if you had a sense of how much some of the fulfillment and shipping backlogs you saw constrained sales, and then any sense of a timeline or a time frame for improvement there. Thank you. Hi, J.D. Thanks for the question. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> Bath & Body Works, you know, had an incredible uh, year, obviously, sales up over 100%. Fourth quarter, sales growth was lower at uh, about 75%. Um, certainly part of the reason that that sales growth moderated uh, was what you're poking on in terms of some of the constraints we saw uh, specifically with uh, shippers, UPS, FedEx, et cetera. 
uh, and their ability to, to handle the total industry level growth. Uh, but it's also important to remember that fourth quarter and the, specifically the holiday time frame within fourth quarter is such a, a steep uh, slope uh, for the Bath & Body Works uh, online business that putting up uh, even that 75% growth in Q4 was a remarkable achievement and significantly above our expectations. So to the second part of your question around how are we thinking about the growth uh, go forward, we're, we're continuing to make big investments into our overall fulfillment capacity. Uh, we saw remarkable progress there, 2020 versus 2019, fulfillment capacity up over 50%, but we recognize that's an area that we need to continue to make investments in go forward. And so short answer, I do not see uh, shipping or fulfillment uh, constraints as an impediment to the business growth uh, as we move uh, into 2021 and beyond. Thanks, Andrew. Next question. The next question is coming from Gabby Carbone. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Uh, congratulations on a great quarter. I was wondering if you can give a little bit, a little bit more detail around how you see e-commerce trends playing out at Bath & Body Works versus the stores channel, kind of when excluding the closed doors from last year. Thank you. Thanks, Gabby. Um, yeah, so again, what we saw was remarkable growth uh, online, you know, what we would probably have, have viewed as several years' worth of growth uh, all in one year uh, in that channel. And so certainly um, I think it's only natural as we approach 2021 to be more conservative in terms of what we assume will be growth in that channel specifically for this year. Um, and we won't know the answer to some of those questions until we start to lap the time frame from a year ago uh, in a couple weeks when stores were closed and direct was our, our only channel uh, operating. So we'll certainly be smarter over the next you know, 90 to 180 days, uh, but, but a lot to still learn. As we think about the business long term, though, so again, prior to 2020, the direct penetration to the total business was in the high teens percent, and we got all the way to 31% of the business in 2020. We view that over time, that number should grow to the mid to high 30s, perhaps as high as 40% over the next several years. But importantly, our goal is to continue to have strong growth in the direct channel, but also to maintain a strong, vibrant, growing store environment that is still the ultimate expression of the Bath & Body Works brand uh, in terms of being able to really uh, stand for our tremendous fragrance experience and the interaction that we have between our associates and our customers, which we believe is such a strong part of the brand. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Next question, please. The next question is coming from Dana Telsey of Telsey Advisory Group. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone, and nice to see the progress. As you think about the 30 to 50 store closures that you talked about for Victoria's Secret for 2021, is that the normalized rate that you expect of store closures going forward post the 241 this year? And then just following up on Victoria's Secret, how do you see the AUR journey progressing by category? How should it differ? Thank you. Thanks, uh, Dana. Uh, Martin, you want to take that one? 
Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dana, for the question. So as you know, we closed uh, 250 stores, took that opportunity uh, during the pandemic. We think that it's reasonable to expect for the next year 30 to 50 stores, and we'll continue to review the fleet on a, on a you know, month-to-month basis. Reminder, about 96% of our fleet is cash flow positive, so we don't feel like there's a burning platform to close hundreds of stores. And, you know, implied in your question is that we might be 30 to 50 stores a year forever and ever, amen, and I don't think that's so. So I would take it one year at a time, expect 30 to 50, and we'll continue to update guidance as we go. As it relates to AUR growth, we have seen pretty consistent AUR growth across the categories. We saw particularly good growth in the sleep and lounge categories, good categories during COVID time, stay-at-home time. Um, but also in our core lingerie. So I don't think there's a big difference there. Similarly, in pink, good AUR growth. I think uh, beauty is probably the one category where there has been less to go at on the AUR growth. But overall, we should expect a continuation of the trend that you've seen in Q4, at least through the spring season. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Uh, Two more questions. So next question, please. The next question is coming from Oliver Chen of Cowan. Your line is open. Hi, Martin. Uh, thanks. Regarding Victoria's Secret, as you uh, think about marketing and these changing nature around beauty, um, what, what um, demographics do you see as the most opportunities there in new versus existing customers? And then your comments on good, better, best, um, are, are they where you want them to be? Um, it sounds like that's an important part of the strategy. Thanks. Thanks. Martin? Yep. Uh, Happy to take that, Oliver. Thank you. Um, So I think the part of our brand that has the most clearly defined demographic demographic targeting is pink, where clearly we're going after the Gen Z consumer, very important part of that brand. And we know that our messaging around diversity, equity, inclusion, um, sustainability is really resonating with that consumer. So that's the most targeted. I think as it relates to Victoria's, we have a pretty broad church, don't we? And actually, we want that church to be even broader than it has been. If anything, we've been uh, too specific in our target. And we think that as part of the brand narrative that I described earlier, that we should be appealing to more women more of the time for more stages of their life. And that means that we'll be there for her in significantly more ways than we have been historically, whether that be through swim or whether it be through vacation or whatever it may be, different life stages. So I would expect us to be less focused on a specific demographic target and more focused on being broadly inclusive of all women of all shapes and sizes and colors and ethnicities uh, and genders and uh, and areas of interest. Um, As it relates to good, better, best, I think we are critical of ourselves of saying that we haven't always had that balance right. And that has led to some opportunity for competitors to attack us in our core space. And the fundamentals of merchandising take us back to those core principles. Make sure you have really good opening price points in all of the key threshold categories. Make sure that you're able to represent the brand in each of the good, better, best uh, areas. And so I think the way we showed up in fall was a significant improvement on where we've been year over year, all credit to the team. And as we've brought new players into our team with different merchandising experience, you know, they have observations about areas where we can see even further improvement during the fall and, uh, and into next year's season. So hopefully that gives you uh, a bit more color of how we're thinking about it. Thank you. Best regards. Thanks. 
Thanks, Oliver. Uh, one last question. Thanks. And our last question is coming from Janet Kloppenberg, JJK Research Associates. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. Um, congratulations on the year. Congratulations to Stuart. Congratulations to, Mar to Martin. All, all good things. Um, um, for um, Andrew, I was wondering if, um, as we think about quarterly sales for BBW um, this year and um, the very challenging comparisons you're up against, should we think that there'll be pressure in two, three, and four, or could there be some opportunity um, during some of those periods? How, how, how would you want us to think about that? And for Stuart or for Martin, I was wondering about the 10 to 15% operating margin goal for Victoria's Secrets as compared to historical peaks. And if you're thinking that there's some competition complexion that's more difficult or uh, lower store productivity that may be um, limiting the um, upside opportunity, albeit still a great margin, but I'm just wondering about returning to historical levels. Thanks so much. Thanks, Janet. Uh, Andrew? Hi, Janet. Um, so, Hi. you know, as your question implied, we're obviously uh, up against some some incredible record performances as we move into uh, Q2, Q2 and even more uh, so in Q3. But, but as we said, we're really only providing guidance uh, at this point for Q1 where we do see opportunity for meaningful sales growth over last year where stores were closed for about half the quarter. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we're really need, going to need to get a handle on what level of stores performance do we see as we lap uh, that closure period and, and really looking at uh, two-year uh, results, meaning 2021 back towards 2019 results, and then similarly understanding how does direct perform up against those incredible uh, results. So too early to, to speculate at this point what that will mean for uh, Q2 and beyond. Thanks. Thank and you. Martin, do you want to take the question about BS uh, operating margins? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, we don't see that there's a cap on the um, on our on our earnings at all. Far from it. However, we do see that we want to leave room in our performance for reinvestment in the business. And you know, we have a couple of specific areas we want to make sure that in our digital business that we're the best that we can be, both in fulfilment and in terms of user experience. And we've spent quite a lot of time over the last several years replatforming that business to get the fundamentals right. And now we're in a position to offer a much better experience. Similarly, in those stores that we have out there, some of them you know, will need some love over time. And so we want to put ourselves in a position where we can deliver the best possible brand experience and quality of earnings at the same time. And that's what's really behind the thinking of a 10 to 15% rate. Thank you. Many thanks. Many thanks. Thanks, Janet. That concludes our call today. Thanks for your continuing interest in Albrands. This will conclude today's conference. All parties may disconnect at this time.